0: So, uh, just to begin, if, if you don't mind uh, introducing yourself, and then we can discuss the article uh, Marx and Algiers that you wrote.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, my own uh, approach to Marx and uh, Marxism is deeply shaped by my training in uh, revolutionary operaism. Hmm since uh, the end of uh, the 70s, when I was a kid and I started to be politically active. Uh, But then, of course, many things happened uh, and uh, they influenced also my reading uh, of maths. To put it very shortly, I think uh, the encounter with migration in Italy and in Europe was particularly important in this respect because uh, it led me to kind of uh, provincialize the reading of Marx uh, that emerged out of the development of operaism basically in italy in the 1960s and 1970s and then you know uh, i engaged uh, in conversations with uh, anti-colonial post-colonial thinkers in many parts of the world uh, and this uh, also played a role, of course. And maybe I should mention also my work uh, with uh, Brett Nielsen, an Australian mm-hmm. friend and comrade uh, that has been particularly important for me in the last uh, twenty years. You know, we wrote a couple of books together, and. Uh, Marx figures prominently in both books, in the book on uh, borders and in the book on, uh, let's say, contemporary capitalism, although it's a bit uh, genetic.
0: Yeah. So to get into the article in, in particular, so you discuss a little bit at the beginning that you're not particularly interested in retelling the history of why Marx was in Algiers, but more in how Marxist thoughts emerged in the south and in the east and you talk about you have a reading particularly of marx in his le, in his later years in 1880 to 1882 changing and sort of interpreting more multilinear linear uh a more more multi approach to the weltgeschichte, weltgeschichte um and his reading of the development of capitalism in uh, historical development so if you don't mind sort of uh explaining a little bit more about this interpretation and how It relates, I think you make allusion to the debate about the universal in particular in post colonial debates. Uh, so if you would explain a little bit more about it, how it relates, and also how it's related to historical development in the colonial situation his letters to uh, Vera uh, Vasilich in Russia, and you know his commentary on Russia, too. So, any of these subjects, yeah, yes, of course. I mean,
1: let me start by saying that, uh, uh mars in Algiers was published as uh, an article uh, but actually is the last chapter of a short book uh, i published uh, on mars and so it's a kind of attempt to take stock of uh, an analysis uh, of mars that follows uh, the thread of uh, the problematic of what we call today uh, production of uh, subjectivity (laughs) and the uh, second uh, introductory remark uh, is that the title is also a kind of a reference uh, to uh, a very important article that was uh, published uh, in the 1960s by Mario Tronti uh, and that was titled uh, Learning in England uh, that article was particularly important in the development of autonomist Marxism in Italy, <laughs> and uh, it particularly uh, shaped the, the uh, operaist view uh, of uh, uh, tendency. <laughs> A very important notion in Marx and in autonomist uh, Marxism. So, that uh, text uh, is uh, an attempt to, to engage in a critical uh, and, in a way, self critical uh, uh, conversation uh, with uh, uh, a specific understanding of capitalist uh, development, which is uh, shaped by uh, a certain linearity. <laughs> and by the idea that uh, there is always uh, a most advanced uh, uh, point in the development of capitalism, and that most uh, advanced point is the one in which uh, uh, revolution must be uh, played out. That was a a kind of uh, hypothesis, in uh, the mid 1960s, uh, that was uh, uh, polemical uh, with respect to third worldism. <laughs> so, to put it shortly, while uh, you had a lot of people who said uh, uh, the chance uh, for socialist revolution uh, must be uh, looked for uh, in uh, the third world in places like uh, Algeria or uh, Vietnam, um, Mario Tronti uh, said the opposite is true. The real uh, chance for revolution. Uh, is there where uh, uh, capitalism is most advanced, and why? Because uh, the very fact that capitalism is most advanced corresponds to the fact that workers' struggles are uh, uh, very strong, you know, because it is workers' struggles that drives uh, uh, capitalist uh, development. So, basically, in uh, my article, I challenge this uh, view, but uh, I do that uh, uh, not in a simple uh, way. Uh, I try to uh, retain something of uh, uh, the uh, operaist uh, paradigm and this something is the fact that there is a tendency of development uh, in capitalism and uh, that uh, this tendency of uh, development translates uh, in uh, quite different uh, ways onto different material contexts. <laughs> And so it is from this point of view that uh, I engage in a conversation with many thinkers who have uh, uh, spoken of uh, a multilinear uh, understanding of the history of capitalism, particularly in uh, the late Marx, but uh, according to some people uh, already in the Grundrisse. Hmm. So from... Uh, the point of view of this uh, reading of maths, uh, uh, I try to uh, reframe a whole set uh, of questions, including uh, the very general question of the universal and uh, of the relation between uh, uh, abstract and concrete. You know, because, uh, uh, to put it quickly, Uh, I uh, argue that uh, uh, the translation, the moment of translation of the abstract onto the concrete uh, always implies uh, important uh, mutations uh, with the way in which uh, uh, the abstract, which means uh, uh, the the rule of capital uh, uh, constructs its own history. So from this point of view, uh, I have uh, in particular uh, a discussion with Dipesh Chakrabarty, with a quite famous chapter of provincializing Europe when it talks, where it talks about the two histories of capital. And uh, well, I think I, I uh, reframe that kind of uh, analytical model in a way that is not. Uh, Necessarily close to the one Chakrabarti had in mind. And uh, I uh, kind of emphasize uh, the moment of clash. Between uh, these two histories, you know, the one that is uh, shaped by uh, real abstraction as uh, a basic code of capital, and the one that is shaped by uh, the translation of real uh, abstraction onto uh, different material contexts. Real abstraction also means uh, real uh, um, abstract labor. and the concept of abstract labor is kind of uh, central in uh, uh, the short book uh, i wrote and i was uh, mentioning uh, before Uh, and of course uh, uh, this uh, reflection upon uh, abstract labor has important implications for the way in which uh, we imagine and construct today uh, the other of capital uh, or if you prefer the revolutionary subject I uh, am convinced that uh, in most uh, western capitalism and in particular in autonomous Marxism there was a tendency to uh, imagine uh, the working class in very abstract terms you know, uh, as a kind of reversal of the progress of uh, uh, abstraction uh, that is inherent uh, to uh, capital. And I try to uh, uh, introduce uh, the moment of translation, as I was explaining before, also uh, in uh, uh, the understanding of the composition of labor. So that uh, labor, living labor, becomes uh, uh, constitutively uh, characterized by a deep uh, heterogeneity, uh, crisscrossed uh, by difference. And this raises, of course, uh, important challenges for the way in which uh, uh, we uh, understand uh, the concept of class, that is also a stake
0: uh, in, my, in my work. Well, thank you for that, and and I'm also curious about you. Frequently reference Marx's use of the term "grenze." So you talk about you know capital encountering borders and encountering non-capitalist space. So if you could talk a little bit more about that in the construction of the world market. Yes,
1: this is uh, this is uh, for me a very important point and. Uh, uh, it is also a very important point. I must uh, underscore that uh, in the work I do with uh, with Brett, with Brett Neilson, uh, we kind of elaborate uh, on uh, a short passage uh, that you find in uh, the Grundrisse, where uh, uh, Marx says, uh, on the one hand, uh, that uh, uh, the constitution of the world market uh, is immediately given uh, with the concept uh, of capital. And on the other end, the the moment of uh, the encounter with uh, uh, the limit is uh, constitutive of the operations of capital. And Marx says uh, capital uh, uh, encounters limits in its development and it turns them onto obstacles to be overcome. So I have uh, very much emphasized uh, this uh, point, uh, And uh, I have uh, uh, argued that we should take this moment of the encounter with the limit. Uh, Uh, as a moment that generates specific conflicts and uh, uh, antagonism in the history and in the present of uh, capitalism this is of course not uh, uh, that original maybe uh, what is Peculiar is uh, my emphasis on the fact that the word, the German word that Marx uses for uh, limit, uh, which means grenze, is also uh, the word that denotes uh, geopolitical borders. (laughs) This is uh, maybe. A bit original, but uh, you know, just think of uh, Rosa Luxemburg, uh, uh her uh, 1913 uh, book on the accumulation of capital. Uh, you can find uh, the same conceptual well, concept of angle. You know, and uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I think that uh, this point. Uh, Continues to be particularly important today because it uh, uh, shows that the constitution of uh, the world uh, market is never given. Here, hmm. yeah, there is definitely a difference with uh, with Rosa Luxembourg, you know, because Rosa Luxembourg uh, uh, was convinced that, that uh, capital uh, needed uh, literal outsides. Hmm. And once all the world will become capitalist, as Luxembourg says, capitalism will be over, Mm. but the this did not happen as we know and so uh, uh, what i think uh, uh, what i foreshadow in that piece but then uh, i elaborated more with Brett in the politics of operations so on the point is that we have to reframe the very notion of outside and we have to take seriously also the fact that capitalism or capital uh, may Produce its own outsides may produce the limits that it then turns onto obstacles to be overcome because this is a very important moment in the process of valorization, you know. And so we are confronted today with the multiplication of, let's say, quote unquote, artificial outside. Hmm. And so I think this is uh, again uh, important, also for uh, the topics that uh, I was uh, mentioning before, because in this moment uh, of, uh, let's say, also metaphorically, <laughs> encounter with the limit, uh, uh, capital is always confronted with uh, uh, a uh, problem of translation. You know, again, in metaphorical sense of course you know Uh, so on the one hand you have an abstract structure again you know but on the other hand you have this uh, uh, multiplication of encounters that are also always uh at least in a certain sense clashes uh Uh, with uh, limits, uh, with the outsides, uh, and this moment uh, of uh, encounter with the limit uh, generates uh, 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 heterogeneity. If you if you understand what I mean with the, this word, you know. I think it's an important point because uh, mm, the idea that uh, capital uh, is uh, uh, basically a homogenizing power. Uh, Uh, It's a very widespread idea. You find it, of course, in uh, in the Manifesto 1848, but you find it again and again also in contemporary debates, uh, just think uh, of Vivek uh, Chibbert's book uh, uh, on uh, uh, post-colonial studies on subaltern studies. Hmm. So I think there is a need to, 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 to reframe the relation between homogeneity and heterogeneity. And of course, I mean, these are abstract uh, concepts, uh, but it is easy to operationalize them and to make them uh, very, very concrete, uh, particularly as far as the question of uh, the composition of living labor is, uh, is concerned. And this question you know is uh, uh, the most important one for
0: me mm-hmm. and I, I i wonder with that if you don't mind you referenced the article of course primitive accumulation and talk about the relation of this between the universal moments of capital and its heterogeneity you reference marx's letter to the russian editors uh where he says not to draw uh, a generic study from, from a specific moment in western europe so if you can explain more about how it relates to the concept of primitive accumulation.
1: Yes, primitive accumulation is, uh, is a very important question. Uh, in my own uh, work, uh, I wrote a long essay on uh, that topic some 15 years ago that has been a kind of generative essay meaning that it has helped me to frame a whole set of questions. And again, I mean, your question leads me back to what I was saying before. It is true that Marx, in his late years, was kind of revising his earlier uh, uh, view of uh, primitive uh, accumulation. Uh, the, the letters uh, and the draft of letters uh, that he wrote uh, in his conversation with the uh, Russian revolutionaries in his last years are uh, symptomatic of that. You know, I'm convinced that uh, uh, there has been a bit of uh, Overemphasis on uh, those letters and drafts uh, of letters uh, in the last years, Uh, you know, particularly in uh, in the US uh, uh, debate. Uh, Some thinkers, uh, friends, uh, have come up with uh, uh, an interpretation of Marx as a kind of communitarian thinker that I don't think uh, is. uh, uh, particularly consistent uh, but above all uh, you know I think it is uh, more important to rescue this uh, uh, moment of uh, confusion in the late March, and this uh, will uh, to uh, go beyond his own limits you know This is really something that I find powerful Uh, and at the same time you don't find a systematic uh, uh, alternative uh, to uh, the picture of uh, primitive accumulation in particular that he provided in uh, Capital Volume 1. Uh, But uh, this uh, will to go beyond uh, his limits, his own limits, uh, is very important. And he definitely uh, understood that, uh, in a way, his gaze had been provincial, you know. He was looking now uh, well beyond Europe, you know. He always did so, uh, at least since he started uh, to write articles uh, for uh, the New York uh, Daily Tribune, you know, in the early 19- 1850s. But uh, after uh, publishing uh, Capital Volume One, he intensified this kind of awareness of the fact that, that Capital was a, a really, and not only conceptually, <laughs> a world system. And from this point of view, he was uh, definitely considering other paths, other uh, uh, possibilities of development uh, of capitalism. And Russia, that was uh, very important to Marx in the last years, as uh, we know, uh, provided him uh, with a kind of uh, testing field. You know, and. Uh, the kind of uh, multilinear uh, uh, understanding of history of the history of capitalism uh, that we were uh, discussing before uh, uh, is uh, again tested precisely in his uh, uh, writings on uh, Russia. But consider the fact that Marx uh, that was already quite uh, quite old, he was a exhausted he had a lot of family tragedies he was sick and he starts uh, to study Russian <laughs> you know <laughs> that's something that uh, uh, really strikes me and uh, I tend to uh, understand that this uh, uh, as uh, uh, part uh, of uh, an attempt to widen his uh, his gaze. And while he widens his gaze, he sees, of course, things that are not compatible with the kind of uh, 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 framework that uh, he
0: forged in, uh, in Capital Volume One. Hmm. Right. And in doing that, you quote from, uh, from Katsky, uh, the, the manuscripts that are posthumously published by Katsky, theories of surplus value. Uh, It is only foreign trade, the development of the market to a world market, which causes money to develop into world money and abstract labor into social labor. I wonder if you can speak a little bit more about this transformation in the emergence of the world market from abstract labor into social labor and how that relates to you were mentioning a a bit about real abstraction earlier. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I mean,
1: this is a question that leads me again uh, to pick up on uh, something I was uh, already already mentioning, because uh, at stake in that quote is precisely the the relation between the abstract and the concrete, uh, let me put it in this uh, uh, philosophically very simple uh, uh, way. Uh, I think that the world market, uh, this is a point I discussed with with many friends, uh, In-Mars is uh, a full-fledged concept, you know, it's not only uh, the uh, geographical framework, Uh, of uh, uh, the development of capitalism. It is really a concept. And that quote uh, is uh, particularly relevant from this point of view, because uh, uh, in a way, in that quote, uh, you can uh, uh, imagine that uh, the uh, world market uh, works uh, like an abstract matrix. And so on the one hand, you have uh, this kind of abstract uh, metrics that can only exist at the level of the world market. On the other hand, you have uh, uh, the empirical uh, quote and unquote empirical uh, organization, articulation of uh, the world market that, of course, uh, differs uh, also profoundly, I mean, from <laughs> uh, conjuncture to conjuncture. But I think it is important to make this uh, distinction. You know, if you uh, think of uh, uh, the theory of uh, the hegemonic cycle, Uh, developed by world system theory scholars like Immanuel Wallerstein, and in particular, Giovanni Arrighi. I mean, you can say that that theory is located at the level of uh, the uh, concrete articulation and organization of the world market. While uh, the world market as an abstract uh, uh, matrix uh, continues to work, uh, in a way, crosses (laughs) the history of uh, uh, capitalism and among other things uh, allows the continuous translation of uh, abstract labor onto social labor. What does it mean? Of course, abstract labor has a specific meaning in (laughs) maths. It is, uh, to put it uh, with the deepest chakrabarti, uh, the way in which uh, uh, capital uh, compels us to see the world. It is uh, uh, more uh, uh, concretely uh, the uh, commodity form that is inscribed onto uh, living labor or web power, they are not the same, but. Uh, so uh, in order uh, to make this inscription possible, uh, you need, uh, again, a process that uh, uh, I call translation. I mean, and I hope uh, you understand what I mean. This process of translation does not happen in the same way uh, Everywhere in the world, and even you know, in a single city, it happens in very difficult, different uh, uh, ways. <laughs> so, what Marx says, uh, uh, what Marx suggests in that quote, is that this uh, uh, process of uh, uh, translation that takes place every day uh, in every city in the world, in every place in the world, uh, is made possible by the world market. <laughs> By the word market uh, as a kind of uh, matrix, as uh, I was saying, and the same uh, uh, is true for money. So, you know, the the two uh, peculiar commodities that Marx uh, uh, describes in his work uh, labor power and uh, money are. predicated upon the working of uh, uh, the uh, world market. This is the way in which I understand the world market as a concept. And it may sound abstract, but uh, uh, if you follow me, then uh, you are compelled to uh, uh, take seriously the element of heterogeneity that uh, deserves uh, detailed investigation.
0: Uh, in not an abstract way. Right, and, and from this, I, I'm curious to examine a little bit further the political conclusions you take from this. So you were mentioning earlier, Mario Chanty and, and Lenin, England. And to what extent do you think you're you're still asserting a level of uh, agreement with operaismo, with um, but at the same time, criticizing some aspects of it that maybe focused on, on a working class in, in Europe, perhaps. Um, and, and in this, you seek to perhaps like include the global south to an extent within the revolutionary potential throughout the world. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, over the last 20 years, uh, I've been uh,
1: traveling and working uh, with uh, friends and comrades uh, based uh, in many parts of the so-called uh, global south. Particularly in India and in Latin America mm. so i am uh, definitely aware of, uh, of uh, the potentialities uh, that uh, nowadays uh, uh, we can find and could also we could always find uh, in the so-called uh, uh, global south you know to put it shortly uh, the the attempt to uh, uh i have been making uh, over the last years uh, and the attempt uh, i am making also today uh in front of the war you know is uh, uh, to work toward uh, a new internationalism a completely new internationalism mm-hmm. completely new first of all because uh, it cannot take uh, as uh, its constitutive uh, basis uh, the nation while uh, of course in uh, the history of socialist and communist internationalism the nation was the organizational uh, basis uh, of the international Uh, and uh, uh, my idea uh, but we need more time to uh, expand on that is that uh, we really need today um, a new political discourse uh, uh, capable of uh, uh, giving expression to the reality of uh, exploitation and to desires for uh, liberation that exist in many parts of the world while at the same time keeping open a space for the political expression of differences <laughs> of differences you know and needless to say such a, such a political discourse such a political horizon such a, uh, a political uh, imagination can only be a collective work you know and uh, but to think of uh, the situation today in uh, Europe in the world uh, uh, with the war in Ukraine you know I was uh, I was doing uh, a kind of round table yesterday uh, with Indian friends uh, in in Calcutta uh, and we were talking about uh, uh, Zimmerwald, the Zimmerwald conference in 1915 and we were trying you know because there are many people who say let's organize a new Zimmerwald okay let's do that but uh, it is not particularly easy you know at that time there were organizations there was uh, the labor movement although divided uh, etc today everything is more uh, elusive scattered uh, you know but at least we were starting uh, to speak about how such a conference should uh, look like uh, today So, it is this uh, kind of uh, debates and discussions that we need to intensify and at at the same time we also need, uh, let's say, exemplary actions, mm -hmm, which means uh, political experiments capable to be generalized, appropriated, translated again. mm -hmm. But uh, I I feel a kind of uh, sense of urgency hmm, today, hmm? particularly in front of the world. But uh, I already uh, felt such a sense also uh, in front of uh, the pandemic. Hmm? Hmm. So in this, right. in this process, uh, there are no you know there is not uh, the possibility that uh, european uh, thinkers uh, or even organizations take the lead you know such a, such a process must must be an open process uh, and uh, as far as i'm concerned i think of the legacy of uh, anti colonial uh, struggles as one of the driving forces
0: of uh, of that hmm absolutely and and i definitely agree with you and, and this would be sort of my last question and it can be a quite, i guess quite a short one but and it, it is quite complicated but to think you write consistently in this article and in a lot of your work about how borders are changing as well in particular you just mentioned the nation state as as an idea for organizing has been sort of superseded and in this you're tracking how capital itself as many people are aware of is eliminating borders and superseding them and moving past them. And I would just ask, in, in concluding, your prediction of where you think this process is heading with the creation of of supranational bodies that include multiple capitalist countries within them. Uh, to think of something like the European Union, for example, you know, where do you see this heading in the in the progression of capitalism and its development? Uh, if this is a universal thing or if this is simply limited to. European capitalist development.
1: You know, it, you are aware of the fact that the question is not uh, uh, an easy one. Eh?
0: Mm. For don't sure, like, it. it's I quite don't like predictions
1: one. because you know predictions uh, tend uh, to uh, be. Uh, Denied by facts, right? <laughs> of course, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but I can say something. Of course, uh, first point is that uh, uh, in uh, my work with Brett, uh, we uh, particularly in Borderless method the, the first book we wrote together, uh, we. Uh, Try to problematize a bit the idea that capital supersedes borders. Hmm. -hmm. We look at the ways in which capital transforms borders, and in a way establishes also new borders while it uses existing borders. I think that today. Uh, an important uh, question, uh, both for research and uh, for politics, uh, is uh, uh, precisely the kind of uh, relationship and the kind of tensions between, uh, let's put it uh, in an easy way, political uh, uh, borders uh, and uh, uh, borders that are created by capital, between political spaces and spaces of uh, capital. Second uh, point, mm, I was mentioning before uh, scholars like uh, uh, Giovanni Riggi and uh, um, Emmanuel And I remember when uh, uh, they started uh, to speak about uh, a crisis of the US German hmm, at the global level. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was in the early 1990s. Hmm. And mm-hmm. to be honest, uh, I thought uh, they are funny guys. <laughs> they they <laughs> don't read the newspapers. And so on. Uh, some 10, 15 years uh, after uh, I had to change my mind I changed my mind you know and uh, I took very i started to take very seriously this uh, this idea and uh, uh, particularly after the the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 uh, I started to uh, reorient also my way to look uh, at globalization following this hypothesis and i would say that also the current war in ukraine as uh, this uh, uh, kind of relative decline you know as uh, uh, its uh, background <laughs> uh so in the last year years again also working with uh, with threat uh, we started to test the possibility of uh, a reorganization of uh, uh, let's say the world order or the world market uh, around uh, uh, regional blocks regional and continental blocks mm-hmm. uh I think the war, the current war, in a way, uh, confirms this uh, scenario and it complicates it uh, quite uh, seriously. To be honest, I have no problem (laughs) to say that. Uh, I never took seriously Russia in the last uh, 15 years. What does it mean? It means that I never studied uh, Russia. Uh, I was uh, I was convinced uh, that Russia uh, was not going to play a real important uh, role uh, in the reorganization of the world market. You know? And uh, I don't know if you take the book by the last book by uh, Giovanni Righi, uh, Alan Smith in Beijing," which is a great book, I think. Uh, well, it doesn't speak of Russia either, you know? <laughs> So uh, it was quite widespread. Uh, and now we are confronted with uh, with this war, uh, uh, you know, that uh, uh, immediately raises the question of the world order. It's clear, you know, that's that's the real question. Hmm. Okay, Europe, Ukraine, Europe, but the scale of uh, uh, the war, at least the scale of the implications of the war, is global. Hmm. And uh, so we'll have to, to to follow. I'm trying to write on on the war. I try to to recuperate a bit my ignorance uh, about uh, about Russia. Uh, but uh, uh, okay, I, I could say that uh, uh, there are different scenarios uh, today. You know that uh, the relation between Russia and China is, of course, uh, crucial. Uh, you know, but uh, there is a need uh, to study, as uh, Lenin was saying uh, after the revolution, <laughs> after the October Revolution. <laughs> so maybe next time we can talk about uh, this question in a more
0: uh, serious way. <laughs> well, absolutely, and and there's so much to be learned, as you said. Um, and i would love to speak again sometime i'll, I'll email you yeah, back yeah. and perhaps we can chat more about it great well thank you so much hey, a couple really of time, but maybe in the future okay
1: maybe excellent again. yeah
0: if you're ever here just let us know we'll, we'll have you we'll have you speak for sure yeah excellent well thank you so okay. much take care thank you take care ciao